We will eventually arrive at Luke chapter 3, verse 7. Uh, before we do, uh, in order to get to the passage, I feel like I need to tiptoe up to a conversation that's significant and yet dangerous. It's dangerous in part because of who I am. And when Gary and I were talking about this this morning, he suggested we thought together that perhaps what I should do is hand out six or eight penalty flags, like the kind they throw in football games. So if I say something that's inappropriate or not nuanced or tone deaf, you could just throw them at me while I was preaching. Then I wasn't sure how long you'd hang on to those flags and you might throw them next week or some other time and then I'd really be distracted. So I'd like to talk a little bit this morning about a conversation that's happening in our society around the topic of privilege. By definition, privilege is a special right, advantage, or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group of people. You hear discussions about privilege when folks are talking about the fact that women still tend to make much less money for the same work as men. It's true. You hear discussions about privilege when you listen to a mother talk about her black son who is so many times more likely in certain areas to be stopped by the police than white young sons. You hear discussions about privilege when college acceptance standards are discussed. You hear discussions about privilege when people are applying for jobs and the issue of age or handicap or ethnicity comes up. I don't think there's anything I can do about the privilege I enjoy. I am a white male citizen of the United States, educated and by global standards wealthy. I have to confess when I talk about this, I haven't always understood the conversation about privilege because I come from a very poor background. The Polish immigrants on my maternal grandparents' side were harassed and discriminated against to the point that they moved from house to house and town to town and changed their name from Trzynski to Cain. They were desperately poor. No one in my mother's family ever went to college. Few were educated at all. My mom married a guy from a family where the dad had died really young, leaving a pregnant wife and the family penniless. I never thought of those circumstances as circumstances of privilege. However, I'm beginning to understand that privilege isn't about where I come from or how hard I've worked to get out of where I came from. Privilege is a comparison between me and the state of the world as it is today 
and whether the specifics and details of my life, as they are, create opportunities for me that I did not earn or make me immune from scrutiny that others who are similar to me must endure. And so by definition, I am a person of privilege. Just by being male, I affirm that I have opportunities that some women won't ever have. Just by being born in the United States of America, I have privileges that many people will never know. Just by being white, my children and I do not face the scrutiny that the children of other races endure in this place. It's not that I apologize for that because I didn't do anything to earn them or, and I can't disown them, but I recognize them. And I realize that with privilege comes a responsibility to name it and do what I can to extend to others the same level of privilege that I enjoy to everyone around me. This is a topic that deserves much deeper treatment at a later time. But these comments serve as an introduction to the passage of scripture we read today. It's important to affirm as we begin that there is a grand leveling that takes place at the foot of the cross, or at least it's supposed to happen at the foot of the cross. The goal of Christian faith is that in the church there ought to be no privilege. Gender, race, class, education, ethnicity, citizenship, none of that is supposed to matter at the foot of the cross. Simply put, Jesus came for every child, for every teen, for every woman, for every man on this planet. One of our founders, Phineas Brzee, said, we are debtors to give every person the gospel in the same measure that we have received it. So, so what are we supposed to do about all of that? This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from Luke 3, verse 7, and I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. Luke 3, 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share the one with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, 
Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Lord Jesus, reveal your word to us in our hearts today, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the Gospel according to Luke, just after Luke tells us the story of the birth of Jesus, he proceeds to set clear, clearly before us, the message of the gospel of Jesus. In fact, if you look, if you look at the beginning of the book, you see that Luke starts by explaining the circumstances of the birth of John the Baptist. And then he tells us the circumstances of the birth of Jesus, our Messiah. And then he goes back and tells us the significance of the birth of John the Baptist. And then he's going to go and tell us about the significance of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in part three of this process. We've been told the specifics of the birth of John, the specifics of the birth of Jesus, the significance of the birth of John. That's where we are today. And so our passage today talks about the message of John, what he says, and to whom he says it. We talked about the message of John a bit last week. Make straight paths for this Messiah. Clear the pathway between you and him. Get ready to receive him. Why? Well, verse 6 in our passage today, just before the reading, says, this is the chance for all humanity to see the salvation of God. This is our opportunity to get a glimpse of what God is doing. This is for everyone. It's not just for the Jew. It's for the Gentile. And when you add Jew to Gentile, one plus one equals six or seven billion today. That's everybody. That's everybody who is, who has been, who will be. This is everyone's chance to see the salvation of God. No sooner has John announced this good news that some folks who are gathered say, ah, yes, but we have privilege. We don't need the salvation of Jesus. We are immune from judgment. We are exempt and John just shakes his head no and says, sons and daughters of Abraham, God can create sons and daughters of Abraham out of these rocks that are around here. There's nothing special about you at the foot of this gospel. This gospel is for everyone. There isn't any special standing for the Jews any longer. You are as eligible for judgment as everyone else. Can you see if the words of John apply equally today? We are still all eligible for judgment. 
regardless of the privilege we enjoy or acknowledge, regardless of wealth or class or ethnicity or race or gender or education or any other status we may cite, regardless of any little thing that you think makes you special, that is one of the mantras of our society today, like every child is special. Unfortunately, what John seems to be saying is, "Uh uh-uh, ain't none of you special. And that's good news. It means we're all eligible. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're all simply sinners, and if true, that we've invited Christ into our hearts, sinners saved by grace. And it's important to recognize there is no privilege before the judgment bar of God. And if that's true, and this is exactly what John the Baptist is proclaiming, then we've got to do something about that. We've got to do something about the fact that when we stand before the judgment bar of God, like every other human on the planet, we will be worthy of judgment. And so John speaks to that when the people say, what do we do? John has a two-point answer. It's really very simple. The first point he simply says is, you repent. You say you're sorry for your sinfulness. You say you're sorry for your self-centeredness. You repent. You know by now that repenting means you turn and you walk a new way. You stop doing the things you've always done. You trust Christ for forgiveness and you walk a new direction. That's the first point. You repent. And then the second thing he says is you demonstrate your repentance by your action. You've already acknowledged your need of Jesus Christ. You've already acknowledged the forgiveness he offers. You admit that you've been self-centered. You ask Jesus to forgive you. And then you demonstrate that you're no better than anyone else and you're not specially privileged to receive this forgiveness of Christ by performing acts of kindness to others. Simply stated, you put the love of God for others into action in your life. The really good news today is this. In the same way that we have an equal standing before the judgment bar of Christ, we also are on an equal footing at the base of the cross of Jesus Christ. He accepts us all without favor or prejudice as well. Whosoever will is the phrase we use when we talk about who Jesus wants to save. Everybody, anybody, all of us, he invites to receive forgiveness and to receive mercy. Jesus turns no one away. Jesus loves every person he created. Jesus wants to embrace every person on the planet. So it's good news to know that while we were equally deserving of judgment, we are all equally predisposed to be loved by God. We don't bring anything with us when we bow at the foot of the cross of Jesus. Class, wealth, race, gender, citizenship, orientation, education, none of that gains us anything at the foot of the cross of Jesus. All that matters is humility 
and the genuineness of our repentance. When the people who were present on the day that John the Baptist proclaimed the gospel heard this news, as I said, they asked what should they do? And John says, bring forth the fruit of repentance. Demonstrate that you have repented, that you have been forgiven, and then bring forth the fruit of repentance. But how? They clamored. And I think it's interesting that Luke takes the time to unpack that a little bit, to say the fruit of repentance may look different from person to person, but it all harkens back to the same basic standing as children in the kingdom of God. If you have excess provisions, share. If you have extra food, share. If you've got a great job, don't take advantage. Don't extort. Don't accuse falsely. Those are some of the examples that John gives, but you can populate that with plenty of others, I'm sure. I'm sure you have a sense of what it means in each of your lives for all of you who have already stepped into the kingdom to bring forth the fruit of repentance. What is it you do that you, you do to demonstrate that in humility you knelt before the cross of Jesus Christ and asked him to accept you. How do you, how do you demonstrate that in your living? Do you, do you tend to consider that point of your life when you came to Christ and admitted that you had nothing of value to him and asked him to accept you, to forgive you, to admit you into his family. One of the dangers, I think, for us in the church is we come to this point of humility and then Jesus begins to transform us and change us. And so things get better and things turn around and we do better and our situation changes and we forget that we didn't get ourselves here, that it was the transforming grace of God at work in our lives and we start to take credit for who we become. It's not that there isn't a synergy involved here. It's not that we're not working in tandem with Christ. It's just we have to remember that it all started with him. And we can never find ourselves in a place where we begin to think that we've made something of ourselves. Because when we strip away the grace of God from us, we've got nothing. It's what it means to stand humbly at the foot of the cross. When the people heard this message from John, it must have struck a really deep chord in them because they begin to think immediately that John must be the Messiah. This message is so new, it's so transforming, it's so different. This idea that I can have forgiveness of my sins. And so they, the, the passage tells us, they go to John and say, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, it's not me, but he's coming. One is coming who is more powerful than I am. And he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. It's this Messiah who's coming, this one who loves every one of us, who is going to baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. John's baptism is identified as a baptism of repentance. 
This is a baptism where I say I'm sorry for what I've done. But when Jesus comes, it's a baptism of fire. What does fire represent? Purification. Cleansing from sin. Jesus will baptize us with fire. So it's not just like we're stamped not guilty. It's like we're cleansed, that we become new creatures in Christ. But that's not the only baptism attributed to Jesus. We're also being baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a deposit being given to us, something placed in us to help us stop the kind of behavior we had before, the kind of selfish living we indulged in before, so that we can change to a whole new type of person, a person who is led and guided by the Holy Spirit. Really, that's the significant difference between the Old Covenant and the New. The Old Covenant had a law, it had standards which we were invited to keep, but no power to keep them. But in the New Covenant, this new gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to every Christian to help us follow the law of love that he articulates for us. That's why we're men and women of the New Covenant. That's why we received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit which is the down payment on all the promises God makes to us. Our confidence in eternal life is rooted in the fact that the Holy Spirit has come to live in us. And so what do we do having received this Spirit? Well, we listen to his voice. We pay attention. We begin to live out the acts of repentance that he invites us to step into. That's what we do. John gave a whole litany of things that the people of his day ought to do for soldiers and tax collectors and regular folks. You have to decide what it will mean for you to bring forth the fruit of your repentance. You know, I thought for a long time, how do I begin a list the way Luke did? I mean, Luke lists three or four possible responses to this issue of bringing forth the fruit of repentance. And the more I began to list things that different categories of folks could do to demonstrate their repentance, I realized it's too complicated and the list is too long. And so I thought I would just show a video this morning that will just demonstrate one possible response. So if we could have that video play at this time, I'll be quiet and then I'll make two more sentences of comments when it's done. This is the letter that I received from my sponsor child. Here's the letter I received from my sponsor child. This is my favorite card from my sponsor child. 
This is the letter that we received from our sponsor, Chow. Hello. I prepared for you a card for springtime. I hope you like it. I live in a small neighborhood where there are many trees and the roads don't have pavement. The weather is hot here, but sometimes it gets cold. I still have two more papers in science and geography subjects. With this, I'm completing my academic year. At present, I'm in first grade. I've started studying piano and hope to play the keyboard in my church one day. I also like to sing. Your support helps me go to school. I'm doing well in school and my favorite subjects are math and history. Every day I come to CDC. I play for some time and eat nutritious food and then I go for studies. I'm doing good at Veritas and I like to be here. We do many interesting activities with our social workers. In my free time I like to play chess, to do figures with balloons, origami, listen to music and playing soccer. My dream is to be a nurse one day to help the people in my community. My mom has told me that I need to study hard. I pray that I can continue to get good grades. Please pray for me and my family. Thank you so much for your prayer and support. I thank you very much for your help. Thank you. Thank you. With love. Thank you. With much love. With much love. I don't know what act of demonstrating the fruit of repentance will look like in your life. I don't, I don't know what you'll do. My sense is those actions aren't or shouldn't be tied only to Advent. They should be things that last through the year that demonstrate that we have been graced by God in ways we can't even begin to articulate or imagine. And our gratitude at that overflows in compassion and caring for others. And perhaps the more privileged we are, the greater our responsibility. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, we are deeply grateful that you have accepted us into your family. Teach us by your Holy Spirit how to demonstrate that gratitude. Amen. May your actions always reflect the song the angels sang. Peace and goodwill to all humanity on whom his favor rests. To the glory of God. Amen. <laughs>